0: Under the Jews, a stumbling block, under the Greeks, foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin.
1: All right, Daniel 5, verses 5 and 6. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. That would be interesting to see. Um, you know that the Bible says you should fear God. That's a proper response. That's someone. Now nah, it's too late. But you should be. You should fear God before the judgment comes. Not once the judgment is pronounced and you're like, okay, how can I get out of this? <laughs> Because there may not, there may be, there may be no getting out of it. <clears throat> um all right, so now we're back to Belshazzar, and he's in the middle of his party, he's in the middle of his feast. Everybody, everybody got a good image of my Babylon, my city? All right. Babylon has fallen, is fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you think about what we just saw and you get to the time of Revelation and whatever this last kingdom is, it's called Babylon. And it's called a great city, right? In the book of Revelation. So could it be that this is what we have to look forward to? A city of this sort in the future that's going to fall, that the Lord's going to have to deal with? So it's just, it, there's no reference in Revelation to Rome. There's a ton to Babylon. Uh, so it's just interesting to think about. Um, enemy armies are surrounding Babylon. They are under siege and at war. The king had no concern. No, not a care in the world. But when God began writing on the wall suddenly sobriety and fear filled the room. (laughs) Now it's interesting because the passage says, so what we're here, what we're used to hearing is the hand that wrote on the wall. It says the fingers of a hand wrote on the wall. And so we're going to look at the, if we get to it at the very end, at at the, the times that God used his finger for something. And so what it looks like is that, you have a candle here hanging on the wall, and and God does this. So if you can imagine what this party room must have looked like, it was probably dark, candles lighting it around the room. If it was under the river Euphrates, there are no windows. If there is a window, it's not gonna help you. <laughs> you're, you're, it's in the middle of the night or whenever, and and you're underwater. And so it's it's likely a dark room with candles hanging you know around the wall. And so God goes over to one of the candles that are on the wall where, where you, know, you know, when a candle is lighting a dark room, and it just kind of has that, that lit area around the candle. But everything outside of it is still kind of dark. And all of a sudden a finger shows up and begins writing on the wall where everybody can see it in the light. That would scare me too. <laughs> I would say, you know, it's time for me to go to bed. <laughs> We've been here too long. Actually, I wouldn't have been there, so <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered. Um, but now suddenly the king is, is fearful. Now suddenly the king is, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Yeah, maybe. It is interesting the hand wrote over against the candlestick. Now, when, it, when the Bible says over against something... So if you have, you know, say you have this candlestick thing hanging on the wall. And so you have your candle here and the little wick and the flame up there. All right. So over against it means it was next to it. Over against something means it was next to something. All right. So this hand shows up and in the light begins writing. Mine, mine, teko yufarsin. On the wall. Um, The light would allow the fingers uh, and the and the writing to be seen. There is a breaking point for a nation in which they cross a threshold and force God's wrath. Look at Genesis 15. This is important to keep in mind. God does this with individuals, but it's a it's a little more consistent in the Bible with nations. You know, God says in the Bible, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Um, you can reach a point. We, we, we've read a number of times this semester um, about Judah in 2 Chronicles 36, that they reached a point to where there was no remedy. God said, there's nothing else I can do. I can't help you at this point. I have to judge you. And so nations have these have a breaking point. That, that's our great concern for America. We, we've so enjoyed so many things there. That breaking point has to be coming. Things are ideologically, religiously, things are so bad in our country. It's coming. And, and so you, you, you saw this city. Religiously, it was in horrendous shape. But it, was, it fared sumptuously. They were doing very well until they, till they defied God directly. Then God said, I'm taking it out. It's over. It's, it's one thing to just be indifferent towards God and to live. But the Bible says there are, there are sinners and there are the ungodly. There's a difference between the two. The ungodly set themselves against God. They're not just sinful. Everybody's sinful, but not everybody wants to directly, purposefully defy God. Some people just live their daily life and they're just indifferent. They don't care. They're still sinners. Some people say, I am against God. That's not a good place to put yourself in because God might take you up on it. And your knees might start smoting one against another. Because when God shows up, everybody, everybody, and, 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 and again, this is in my notes, and I don't mean to get ahead of myself. I don't want to be redundant, but we witness to people all the time in America, and they say, well, when I see God, I'm going to tell him. No, you're not. You're going to be terrified. When, in, in, in the Old Testament, when, when God was speaking from Mount Sinai, it said his voice sounded like thunder rings. Not thunder. Thunderings like like multiple thunders all together. And so when God is sitting on the great white throne and he says, Explain yourself, and you're gonna say, Well, I got something to talk to you about. Why don't you come down here so I can tell you? <laughs> I don't think so. When you hear that voice come rolling off that throne, you are gonna fall on your face begging for mercy. It's too late. You should have done that before you were standing before that throne. It's over. And so all this stupidity about what you're going to tell God when you see him, I hope I get to be there. I just want to watch because I don't think it's going to happen. I think your knees are going to start smiting one against another. You're going to crumble like a coward. Yeah. in a heartbeat. Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now, God is telling Abram, your people are going to go into captivity in Egypt for 400 years. Right? That's, that's the premise. That's what we're talking about. It's the context here. Now listen to what God's going to do to Egypt for taking them captive for 400 years. Verse 16, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again uh, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Wait a minute. That's not, I got ahead of myself. Where was I? Verse 14, let's go back. And also that nation, so it's, it's Egypt, that's who it ends up being, whom they shall serve, I will judge and afterward shall they come out with great subs- substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Now, verse 16 is ultimately what we're looking for. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. So you had the Amorites. All right, a, a, a Gentile nation that God's going to judge. But he said, their iniquity is not yet full, so I'm not sending you that way yet. I'm not ready to judge them yet. <laughs> but they're working on it. So it looks like God, God has, I don't know if he's recording it in the books. I don't know if his watchers are keeping score. However God does it, nations reach a point and God says, that's enough. You're going down. And then he takes them out. And so when they're not yet full, he leaves them to their devices. He stays out of the way. And he told his people, no, don't go that way yet. You're going to come back this way after I get you out of Egypt because the Amorites, their iniquity is not yet full, but it's going to be. In other words, he has no confidence that the Amorites are going to say, you know what, we repent. (laughs) As a nation, we just like to say we're turning to God and we're going to serve you from now on. Not likely to happen. And so there comes a point. First of all, you see a couple of principles here. You see that God's going to use Egypt to take Israel captive. Then he's going to judge Egypt for taking Israel captive. It's the same thing he did to Nebuchadnezzar. Same thing he's going to, he did to Cyrus. The same thing he's going to do to every nation. Even if he uses that nation to deal with Israel, you don't want to be the nation to do that. He's going to let you do what you want to do to Israel because he needs a rod to use against them. But then he's going to turn around and deal with your nation because you, you stood against Israel. You don't want to be in a nation that stands against Israel, against Israel. Two things, two slight slimmers of hope that America has that are fading quickly. Number one, America still protects Israel, even though administrations like the current one hates them. But we have treaties, we have contracts, we have all these things in place where whether they like it or not, they have to protect Israel. They have to help them. All right? So that, 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 makes, that makes God, in my mind, according to certain biblical principles, say, okay, your iniquity's not full yet. <laughs> You're still a little bit useful. <laughs> and then the second thing is America still spends millions and millions and millions of dollars sending missionaries all around the world, sending Bibles all around the world sending tracts all around the world in numerous languages. You can't even, we don't even know, the I don't even know the, a, a number concerning the, the languages in which American churches send Bible literature around the world. But those two things are fading fast. And on the other side of that, the, the ideological mentality, homosexuality, transgenderism, Just atheism, just rank ungodliness is spreading rapidly through our land, whereas fundamental Bible believing churches are far and few in between, though they still sin. I can name three churches right now, just three, that spend more than $1 million per church on missions and only missions. Three churches. Now, there are several in between who spend $40,000, 100000 200000 My home church, between missions and missions-related stuff, shipping Bibles, shipping books, all those type of things, our church spends about $650,000 a year. So that, that's four churches. Out of the three I mentioned, some do 1.2, some do 1.3, some are at $1 million. I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of money just from four churches so that I can be here, Brother Keith can be here, you can have Bibles, tracts, all the things that we have so we can try and get the gospel around the world. If that stops, if America's not going to protect Israel and America's not going to send Bibles and missionaries around the world, what use is there of America? I mean, honestly, other than potential economic freedom, why would you go to America? Your children are going to be taught they're not the gender they are. They're going to be taught Marxism, socialism, and all sorts of other perverted ideological, uh, ideological frameworks that are so damaging your, your child might kill themselves because they don't know how to handle what they're being taught. We have a massive flux of, of child suicides in our country because little girls are being told, you're probably a little boy. And little boys are being told, you're probably a little girl. You have transgender people wearing lingerie, putting on shows for children in schools. What what do you do with a country like that? You burn it to the ground and start over. Something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Anyways. So here we are. Their iniquity is not yet full, but Babylon's is. I hope America's isn't. I hope Uganda's is not. I hope the other East African countries around us. I hope theirs is not. But there's always a chance that day is coming. So that means preach the gospel more. Give out more tracts. Give out more Bibles. Do more. Do everything you can to try and get the word of God in people's hands because it's the only thing that's going to change people's lives and help your country. You strive for a political opponent, that's not going to help you. We would like to see our government in America changed in this next election. That's not going to save America. That's not the solution. That might be a temporary Band-Aid, but it's not the answer. It's the gospel that is the answer. It's the word of God that is the answer. It's the only thing that's going to help. It's the only thing that's going to change. All right, got to keep moving. Where are we? Um, Babylon accomplished what Egypt accomplished in three generations. It took Egypt 400 years of captivity of Babylon. It took, or or of of Israel. It took Babylon three generations. And now God is knocking at their door and going to judge them. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, I'll read it to you. Um, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. When men violate the word of God to such an extent that they are blasphemous, we have to intervene in a church setting. There are things uh, we joked about Nyanzi's rap show the other day, when he had a rap artist come in to the church and um, sing a song. All right But the guy, he's new. he didn't know what he was doing. He's still around, and, as far as we can tell, doing great. Because he was given a little grace. He was given a little space. He was not trying to be blasphemous. He was not trying to be disrespectful. He just didn't know any better. Now, someone comes in and starts saying that Mary was a perpetual virgin and wants to preach that from the pulpit. You've got to sit that man down. Somebody starts coming in and says, the church is going through the rapture. You've got to to make that man sit down and be quiet. Somebody makes a procedural error and accidentally sings the wrong kind of music in our church. Well, we'll give him some time. Now, if he comes in saying this is the new music in this church and you're going to like it, you got to sit that man down. Escort him out the door. You tell him you you got two choices. You can sit down and shut your mouth or we can help you out the door. Which one do you want? You can't come here and teach directly contrary to what we're trying to establish here from the word of God. You can't be open and, def- and, 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 and defiant in a rebellious way. We will give you no space, no, not for an hour. Because what you're coming here to do, what you're coming here to teach is going to be destructive. Now, if it's a you know, different perspective of a biblical doctrine that is within the, the, the possible context, then, then if pastor's okay with it, give him a chance. But if it's directly contrary to the truth of the word of God, You give that person no space. You know, Islam is amazing in that it's the only religion in the world that deliberately notes every doctrine that is holy to Christianity and defies it purposefully. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus did not die on the cross. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is not the son of God. They literally name the doctrine and oppose it directly. It's not like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses who they give you a little bit of truth and then and then veer off the track somewhere. They're not trying to deliberately. I mean, they are trying to deliberately get you out of out of the truth. But 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 they're not di- they're not directly opposing everything you believe. They're going to claim to believe everything you believe. You're <laughs> So you've got to be baptized. Oh, we're baptized we got to believe the gospel. Oh, we believe the gospel. You bunch of liars. You don't believe nothing. You just make it up as you go. All right. So, so the, it's, the difference is Islam says, oh, you believe that? We believe the exact opposite. We are against what you believe. So somebody comes in the church and they say, you believe A? Well, I think it's B and you need to agree with me. Well, <laughs> well no, what you need to do is sit down and shut up or you need to walk out of the church and don't come back. The Bible says, you know, an heretic, you give him two or three admonitions. And if he doesn't listen, goodbye. People that have a difference of opinion are welcome to come to the church and sit quietly. (laughs) You don't get to come and teach your opinion if you have not given space and time by the men in positions of leadership for you to be able to do that. Right now, there has to be some uh, variance in the opinions and ideas of the men in the church. That's okay. We can have a little variance. We can have some discussion. Uh, Brother Keith and I, as you well know by now, we don't agree on everything. And he and I, we sit and we talk about it. We're not enemies. And what I believe does not oppose what he believes in a way that tries to harm him. And what he believes does not oppose me in a way that tries to harm me. We just see some things differently. And that's okay. Okay. And when you have two people who can get along and they're not trying to harm each other, which I don't think I would never do, and I don't think he would ever do. In fact, I, I, if I have a problem with something he has said, I'm going to him and talking to him about it. If he has a problem with something I said, I have all confidence he's going to come to me and talk to me about it. And we're going to, in, in a brotherly and friendly way, handle it and try to come up with a resolution. But somebody comes in the church and they say, oh, you believe Christ died on the cross for your sins? Well, I think you've got to work to, to earn your salvation. Well, I think now you need to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> All right, that, that's not a difference on opinion, of opinion on whether something took place between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 or not. Now you're, you're directly defying a very clear, needful doctrine in the word of God. And you're going to lead people astray and you're going to hinder the gospel. So, no, we can't let you do that. Sorry. You got to sit down and be quiet or you can, you can leave. It's up to you. We want you to stay. But if you're going to stay here, you can't teach that. So um, here we are with men who want to deliberately defy God. When men violate the word of God to such an extent that they are blasphemous, we must intervene in the church. If it's in their homes, on their own property, that's their business. Now, if we, we find out at the church that you're out in the streets preaching against what we preach, well, that's, that's a problem. We're going to have to deal with it. All right? but, but generally speaking, people do what they want at their home. I'm not going to your house and saying, you know, Sarah, you got alcohol in the fridge? All right, now if Sarah wants to have alcohol in her fridge, that's between her and God. That's you know, if Pastor Paul wants to deal with it, that's up to him. Right. But as long as she's not bringing it to church, <laughs> I know you don't have alcohol in your fridge. You don't have alcohol in your fridge, <laughs> no, I know you don't have alcohol in your fridge. Um, uh, but someone keeps stealing it out of our fridge, it's not you, is it? <laughs> All right, so, so what people do in their home, you, you can't force people to obey the Bible in their home. That's their home. God gave the man of that house leadership over that home. Now, he should do right, and you want him to do right, but it's up to them how they handle what they do at home. You bring it in the church, we're going to deal with it directly. If it spills out of your home into the public or into the church, well, now we've got to deal with it also. We can't just let those things, you know, not... If you owe everybody in town money and people start saying, oh, he goes to your church. He owes us money and he owes them money and he owes them money. Well, no problem. We're going to go talk to him right now. You have to pay your debts. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ and a representative of this church. You can't just go around town taking money from people in the name of Jesus and act like that's acceptable. Right now, if you have debts, that's up to you. You pay your debts and you stay on top of them, that's between you and God. God said you've made yourself a slave. If you're okay with being a slave to both your debtor and also to God, then that's, that's between you and God. But when that, the debtor starts coming to the church and saying, did you know that people come to your church, do this? Well, now we got a whole different problem and it has to be dealt with. If you're a fornicator, you have to be removed from the church. There's no... Well, you know, give him time, he'll work it out. No. <laughs> get out, turn him over to Satan. That's it. I, but I do it in the confines of my home. Okay? Keep doing it in the confines of your home. Don't come back. You do what you want. You're not, you're not gonna come to this church and be a fornicator. All right. So if you if you you can't get married and be faithful to a wife and do what you're supposed to do, then find somewhere else to go. There are plenty of churches that will let you do that, and you can act that way, but you're not going to do it here if we, can have, anything, if we have anything to say about it. If I find out about it, I'm going to embarrass you in ways that you, you can't imagine. There are so many things that we can help you with. Financial trouble, we can help you. Struggling with some sin, we can help you. You're a fornicator? There's no help for you. Get out. You can't keep your pants on? I mean, honestly, what am I supposed to do for you? Put a padlock on your belt?
0: <laughs>
1: God says, get them out of the church. They've got to go. All right, so, so if you, it, you know, there, there are, God's people have so many boundaries to learn and to grow and to make mistakes and to do all these things that need to be done. And you're going to have to go through that process and learn as you go. But there are some boundaries that can't be crossed, and they have to be confronted. And so um, Belshazzar decided to go as far as he could with God. And now God himself is going to come and confront him. His, His knees smote one against another. The judgment of God is to be feared. It must be taken seriously. When God shows up and demands that you answer for your sin, you will be struck by fear. We talked about already lost people who think that they're going to walk in to the great white throne of judgment and just start telling God what he needs to hear. You grossly misunderstand what you're walking into. I feel sorry for you. If it were not a supernatural incident, I don't think you could survive it. I think you would walk in see that God sitting on a great white throne, hear his voice, have a heart attack on the spot and hit the floor and die. I don't know that people understand the magnitude of what they're going to be walking into. The same for the, for the judgment seat of Christ. It bothers me to know I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ in his glory. He's going to open a book that has everything I've done, said, looked at, every place I went to, everything I drank, everything I ate, everything is documented. What were you doing here? Uh, <laughs> then I can play stupid like other people. What do you mean? What do you mean? You know what I mean. What is what do you mean mean? It means you don't want to answer the question. And I don't want to answer the question. <laughs> It's, be, it's a fearful day. Judgment from God is not to be toyed with. It, it, is, it is a very serious situation. But, but we, t- we so take advantage of the grace of God. We think that because he's gracious, he won't show up and judge. And he absolutely will. You just keep playing. You're going to fill up that cup. And he's going to give you a taste of his wrath. I don't suggest it. I Just keep a short list of repentance and keep doing your best to move further and further to Christ, closer and closer to Christ every day. Don't let one day go by where you're not, you're not moving as quickly and as fervently to Jesus Christ as you possibly can. That's, that's the only place of safety. All right. Daniel 5, verses 7 through 9. All right, we got to move quickly. I want to finish this chapter tonight. And we're only in verse 7. Verse 7. The king cried aloud. Yeah, I bet he did. To bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Here we go again. I mean, you talk about not learning at all from anything you've done, any of your experiences. But the the historical documents say that Belshazzar, Belshazzar, Belshazzar was probably about 15 years old when Nebuchadnezzar went through this same process. And later Daniel says to Belshazzar, and you knew, you knew that God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And here we are again doing the exact same stupid routine. This is why it's so important to judge yourself. Make sure you're not stuck in a loop and just doing the same dumb thing over and over and over and over and over and wondering why do I keep getting the exact same results? Well, you did the same thing. <laughs> do better. Do something different. All right. But where were we? Verse seven. The king cried aloud uh, to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished. All right. All right. So, once again, the wise men prove to be complete failures. They're incompetent and can't do anything. Uh, Since the days of Nebuchadnezzar, nothing has changed. The wise men have no ability in them when faced with a situation they are unable to manipulate. If they can't manipulate the situation, then they can't help you. Like I told you, one of the first couple of classes about these guys, I I had that encounter with a woman who, who reads tarot cards She's great at manipulating people. And as long as she's in a situation where she can manipulate, it looks like she knows what she's doing. But when you can't manipulate, if you can't even read the writing, what are you going to say? Are you just going to start making stuff up on the spot? Um, and so if they can't manipulate the situation, then, then it just goes nowhere for them. The trouble here is that these words are sent from God. To understand them, a man sent from God is needed. That would have seemed apparent by now in Babylon. They should have understood that already. They've had multiple encounters with this. Uh, This is exactly why the world struggles with the Bible. They want to understand the Bible apart from God's Holy Spirit. And that's not an option. You understand the word of God through the writer, the Holy Spirit. The inability of the wise man to interpret the writing further troubled the king and also his nobles are astonished. Astonied means you're so astonished, you literally turn into a stone. You're, you're, you're so amazed at, at at the situation, you just freeze, and you just sit still, and you don't move. They're astonied. All right, verses 10 through 12. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> Your your life will be taken tonight. O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, there is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts are found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, Belshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. All right. So if if the queen knew, the king could also have known. But he didn't. Well, I mean, according to Daniel, he did know. It just... It's like when Nebuchadnezzar brought all these guys in the second time and none of them could tell him his dream. And so then he says, okay, bring Daniel in at the last. (laughs) Well, that's who helped you last time. Why would you bring him in last this time? And so Daniel had been greatly used in the long career of Nebuchadnezzar. But Belshazzar was apparently ignorant of this fact. Daniel had to be sent for and and brought to with the understanding that he could interpret the writing on the wall. Belshazzar had made, a grand, had made grand promises for the man who could interpret the writing. Not, not understanding the interpretation would promise his downfall. Could you imagine that? Whoever will tell me what this writing says, I'll make you third ruler in the kingdom. The kid, the writing says, you have no kingdom. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Just put a gold chain on him, <laughs> make him third ruler. <laughs> You're not the king anymore. It's over for you. That'd be a bit of a problem. His promises were useless. Unlike his father, he would not be given space to repent. Historically, we know the Persian army led by Darius had dug a trench that would change the path of the Euphrates River. This would cause the great moat that surrounded Babylon to dry up. Historically, we we are also informed that that night, Babylon was celebrating one of its pagan gods. As is often the case with paganism, they participated in drunken sexual perversion. This included the guards who would normally be standing watch on the towers. Therefore, when the moat dried up, the Persian army walked right into Babylon untouched because everyone was drunken and involved in ungodly perversions. Do you know how France fell to Germany in World War II? The French general announced it on the radio. He said France has fallen our men were too drunk to fight the Germans walked right into France and took it until America came and kicked the Germans out and gave France back to <laughs> to France some time ago the, the you know the French government is always mad at America and they said they told um what was his name um I can't think of the general's name it's a black guy um Interesting guy, but I can't think of his name. Oh, Powell, General Powell. Colin Powell is his name. And they said, why don't you take you and your troops and get out of our country? He said, should we take our graves also? The only reason France still exists is because our troops went in and fought and liberated France and England. And so you have the exact same situation in Babylon. Now, France didn't have the most fortified city or, or, or country in the world. It's, it's tough to get into, but it's not Babylon. Babylon was unbelievably fortified. Everybody is drunk. Now imagine being the guy to have to go make that radio call and tell your country, tell your citizens, you're about to become slaves to the, German, to the Nazi regime because our soldiers were too drunk to defend you. Several of their soldiers were in the hospital with delirium tremens, which is something you get from from drinking so much and going through withdrawals. And they couldn't defend their own country. Here you have Babylon. A Persian army literally marches down the Euphrates River and walks right into the city because everybody's drunk and nobody's paying attention. Nobody is paying attention. Not one person could say, hey, uh... You guys might want to come do something. There's, you know, people walking under the Euphrates River and coming right into, the country, right into the city. They walked right in and took the place. About 65 years have passed since Daniel chapter 2. That means it is likely that Daniel is in his 80s. He was not at all flattered by the king's proposal. He came in and, and, and got straight to work with the interpretation Daniel's reputation and testimony were so strong that the queen remembered him and nothing about his character changed her understanding of who he was. He was a faithful man. So in 65 years, 65 years later, this queen, her understanding, whatever her role is or whoever she is in the process of all this, she said, there's a man of God who can come and and tell you exactly what you need to know. Your father, your grandfather used him, used him faithfully. And so they bring in Daniel. Verses thirteen through sixteen. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the of the gods is in thee, and that the light and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And that sound nice. I have heard of you. Here's all the wonderful things I've heard of you. Well, then why are you just now calling me? Why didn't you call me before you decided to bring in God's vessels and, and, and have a party with them? But, of course, at this point, it's it's too late. Verse 15, And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me and they should that they should read this writing and make it known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, now if thou canst read the writing and make it known to me, uh, make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Uh, The king attempts to flatter Daniel, but he is not impressed. Not only is Daniel not impressed, but he also knows that Belshazzar's time is finished. He no longer has a kingdom over which to make promises. But he's going to keep playing like he does. Let's read verses 17 through 21. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom And majesty and glory and honor, and for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, whom he would, he slew; and whom he would, he kept alive; and whom he would, he set up; and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him, and he was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They, they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Man, that'd be some hard words to hear. This is what God did to your grandfather. And you knew it. Now God's going to deal with you. But God gave you a grandfather. He left the root in the ground and he left the stump so that it could grow back. He's taking you out. You're done. Daniel will not serve God for reward. He is not concerned with the gifts. He is not concerned with the truth. He is only concerned with the truth. He is a man of integrity, honesty, and in service to the Lord. He is not Balaam. He is not serving for money. Daniel reiterates the times of the Gentiles. Gentile powers have the ability to set up, tear down, and even put to death if they so choose. But they are not authorized to operate outside the boundaries God placed upon them. Nebuchadnezzar tried that, and he had to be humbled. Belshazzar knew this, and he defied God anyway. Nebuchadnezzar was made the head of gold, and, but was still subject to God. Men, raise your hand if you're a man. Neanzi's yeah, taking his time. There you go. Yeah. All right, good. The Lord has given us the privilege of leading, and you should enjoy that place in life. But if you are given authority... You're, you're, you better not forget that you are still subject to God. The moment you forget this and begin to abuse the place of leadership you have been given, the Lord will humble you. And you should, you should fear that possibility. Don't assume you can abuse people through power and that God will simply stand by and watch. He might come and visit you. And he might deal with you. All right, so embrace the authority and the leadership God has given you as a man. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But leadership and authority does not, does not equate to abusiveness and, and, and corruptness. You can't, the, the two don't go hand in hand. You, you lead by example. And the authority that you've been given as the, the head of a house or uh, the head of a church or whatever, whatever it is that God's given you to rule over has to be done in accord with the word of God. You don't just assume because God's given you the place of leadership that you can crack a whip and and mistreat people. Uh, God might come mistreat you. (laughs) So be very careful with that authority. Uh, Verses 22 through 24. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee and thou and thy lords thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and of brass of iron wood now do you notice something interesting in what daniel just said the chapter opened and said they were praising the gods of gold silver Brass, iron, stone, right? Daniel just said, you're worshiping the gods of silver, gold, brass, iron. He switched the silver and the gold. What's the structure of the image of Gentile powers? Gold, silver, brass, <coughs> iron. It's, it's, a, it's like it's a subtle message. You're not here anymore. Belshazzar is the current representative, excuse me, of the head of gold. And Daniel just in a subtle way said, you're not the head anymore. All right. The, praise the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone. Which see not, nor hear, nor know the God, no, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and who whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified? Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this thing, and this writing was written. All right, so Daniel's gonna. Daniel took the opportunity to rebuke him as he is giving him the interpretation. He's not the king anymore, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Daniel just like, you're an idiot is what you are. You knew all this and you did it anyways. And and so when Belshazzar brought the vessels of God into his party, the Lord took that as as a sign that he was lifting up his heart in pride against God. Daniel knows that Belshazzar understood his grandfather was punished for, for his pride and it did not move him in the least. Daniel uses this opportunity to rebuke the foolish king, not only is Belshazzar prideful, but he deliberately went after God. Imagine how Daniel felt when he walked into the room and he saw the vessels of the house of God. That had to be, I think there's potentially, there, there are two sides to his feelings about this. This is my conjecture. This is just my opinion. In part, he may have been disgusted, offended that these pagans would defile God's vessels. I mean, he had to walk in and see that. And they're in a drunken party with all sorts of perversion going on. And they've got the vessels of the house of God there. But then, on the other hand, he must have been thinking, you don't know what you have done. (laughs) You have made a big mistake. It's, It's not my offense you need to be worried about. You offended God, and he's going to do something about it. You you called out the wrong God. Uh, Romans 1, I'll read it to you real fast. Verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In order to hold it in unrighteousness, you have to have it. Which means they know, but they made a decision about the truth. I don't believe it. I'm rejecting it. I'm going to hold this truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Right, do, you, do you understand how intricate those details are? They knew this was God, and they said, I will not glorify you as God. So I know you're God, I'm not going to treat you like your God. Not a good idea. You at least want to be able to claim ignorance. But most people cannot. I think very few people could exist in the world who could actually claim to be ignorant of of, of the truth. Uh, And and, and you're going to struggle to be able to demonstrate those people to me. Because the Bible says that everybody gets some measure of light. They may not know who Jesus Christ is, but they see creation. They have light. They just choose to reject it. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. And the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. So if that's what you want to do, that's how you want to live, here you go. And what you don't realize is that your participation in that is just leading you further to your own personal destruction. And, and so um, what's interesting, though, it says that they professing themselves to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the, to an image made like to corruptible Man and the birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things. Now, if you look at where we are in the world today, just a few years ago, the dominant doctrine in the world was humanism. Man. Well, now the dominant doctrine is climate change. The earth. So they have shifted away from worshiping man. And now they're setting their affections on the earth. Birds. Four-footed beasts, creeping things. And so it's, it's all downhill from here. That's not terribly exciting. All right, Daniel 5, verses 25 through 28. Let's read all the way down to 31, and then I'll make a few comments, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tekel upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. It's over. Um, Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about, about his neck and made a proclamation. I guess it just made him feel better. Concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom that no longer exists. (laughs) Verse 30. And that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. All right. So either Belshazzar did not believe Daniel or he didn't understand or he's just really dumb. But he crowned Daniel anyways, as though he had the ability to do it, Um, which he absolutely did not. Now, we can trust the English Bible. We don't need Hebrew. We don't need Greek. We don't need Latin. We don't need Aramaic. We don't need Chaldean. When God wants us to know a language other than what we have in English, he gives us the words and the interpretation. So, you don't need to leave what God gave you and go look somewhere else if God's going to tell you, you know, Talitha Kumai, Golgatha, Mine Mine Teko So, all this is in a different language, and the Lord tells you what the definition is. He tells you what it means. I don't need to go look somewhere else. I, I, I have it. So, uh, in the interpretation, Daniel uses the word Perez in place of eupharson. This is because Perez is the singular use of the plural word eupharson. The words mene mene teco, eupharson, when translated into English, this is what they mean. numbered, numbered. Weighed Divisions That's their literal translation. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And now your kingdom is taken from you. And so that that, so when it comes to the wise men reading it I don't know if it does say that they couldn't read it or interpret it. But I don't know if maybe they They read the words because it's in Aramaic. The words are are, are in Aramaic. So the words that I'm saying to you, which I'm certain is not how you would pronounce it in Aramaic, but they're Aramaic words. So I don't know if they could read them and don't know what this means. I mean, if if I wrote that to you, if I gave you a piece of paper, or if I wrote wrote numbered, numbered, weighed divisions on the wall and said, okay, tell me what that means. What would you say? (laughs) I uh, don't know what that means. If you don't have God to give you the interpretation, then you're not gonna, even if you could read that, you would have no idea what that means. All right, so I don't know if it's 100% that they just couldn't read the words or if they read the words and said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so Daniel had to come in and tell them what it means. All right, the finger of God was used, is used six times in the Bible. No, five times in the Bible. I'll tell you what they are real fast. Daniel 5, he wrote on the wall, All right, so you already know that. This finger shows up and writes on the wall. Exodus 8, verses 18 through 19, the finger of God. Exodus 31, verse 18, the tablets of testimony were written by the finger of God. Luke eleven twenty, Jesus said, I cast out devils by the finger of God, which is interesting. John 8, verses 6 through 8, Jesus drops down and writes on the ground when they bring the woman who apparently or supposedly was caught in adultery. If his finger has this much power, and you are in Christ Jesus through salvation, what does that mean for us? If just his finger is this important, how much better is it to be in the body of Christ? All right, notes on Daniel. Daniel 5.12. He has an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences. Now, it's interesting, hard sentences. This is where preachers get in trouble. They don't want to give the hard sentences. They don't want to deliver the hard truths that the Bible has. They would rather just kind of pretend like they don't exist. Well, Daniel told people the truth even when it was difficult. Daniel 5.13, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel? (laughs) Please tell me you are. Until he hears the interpretation. Then he's like, please go away. (laughs) Daniel 5, 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself. I don't want them and I don't need them. In fact, you don't have them to give anymore. (laughs) Daniel 5, 29, then commanded Belshazzar and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck. And that is Daniel chapter five.